Section 8 of A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caroline Sears. A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories by Caroline Ticknor. A Bag of Popcorn. Jeremiah Tufts was packing up his things to go home he told his friend, Sam Wilkins, though when he stopped to think the matter over, he had to own to himself that the place he was about to leave was in reality much more his home than the one for which he was bound. Sam had dropped in upon him and was watching with a troubled look his preparations to leave the place he had occupied for so many years. It was hard for Sam to get over the shock which he had experienced when his friend had suddenly announced his decision to return east and he tried in vain to reconcile Jeremiah's usual calm and stolid demeanour with his apparent feverish anxiety to be off at once. He sat on a rude chair, which Jeremiah had always considered one of his triumphs in furniture manufacture, and puffed his clay pipe. Jeremiah was nailing up in a large packing case such of his household goods as he deemed worthy of transportation. "'I hope you'll help yourself, Sam, to anything that strikes you as available.' he remarked, taking a nail out of his mouth and preparing to drive it into the case. "'I shan't tote any of the furniture away with me,' he added, reflectively. "'It ain't much of anything to speak of, but it might come in handy, some of it.' This liberality elicited no response from Sam, who continued to regard him seriously, shaking his head. "'It ain't natural, and I can't say it seems right to me,' he said at last. "'Why not, I should like to know?' "'Why ain't it right and natural to give away a lot of old things I've got no further use for?' "'You don't understand me, Jeremiah. It wa'n't the furniture I was referring to. It was to yourself, man. Here you've lived and worked among us, quiet and contented these twenty years, and everything about here seemed to suit you. I've heard you say time and again that no place ever combined to satisfy you like this, and now, all of a sudden, you pack up and say you're going to leave us.' "'There's something extraordinarily wrong the matter with you, Jeremiah, I'm afraid, "'and I wish you'd let me ask the doctor to come round and take a look at you.' "'Jeremiah, having finished nailing up the packing case, "'drew himself slowly up on top of it and sat there, regarding his friend. "'Don't you be a-worrying about me, Sam. "'I want never better in my life. "'Moreover, I'd like to make one remark, which is, if it ain't right and natural for a man to want to go and end his days in his own native town, I want to know what is right and natural. Yes, if you've a home a-waitin' for you, but you've told me many a time that you hadn't a relation in the world, and you've allowed how you was pretty much a pilgrim and a stranger altogether. Jeremiah cleared his throat. You don't understand, he said. It's the old associations and points of interest. And... He hesitated. I'd mighty like to look up a few of the old friends. If you'd been anxious about looking them up, I should have thought you'd have sought about it before this. Likely you'd have found more of them standing round to receive you ten years ago than you will now. A deep shade of melancholy rested upon Jeremiah's face. I wish I had started ten years ago, he said sadly. He was silent for a moment and then went on. I've been saving up something, and I believe it's enough to answer for my being tolerably comfortable from now on, with a margin to pay for a respectable monument in the old burying ground on the hill. 
His friend again shook his head doubtfully. It won't do, he said. There's something you're keeping back, Jeremiah. You've always been fair and square with me, old man. What's starting you off? Jeremiah heaved a deep sigh. You always was as curious as a woman, he said. I reckon it's a good failing to resemble em as much as we can, Sam remarked placidly. They generally get there. Jeremiah had opened a small black trunk which stood in one corner of the room and taken out a white pasteboard box. He removed the cover and displayed a quantity of very old and yellow popcorn which was running out of a torn, crumpled paper bag. It's on account of this bag of popcorn I'm going home, he said, all on account of this. What? gasped Sam, confirmed in his suspicions that Jeremiah had taken leave of his senses. Going east on account of a bag of popcorn? Man, are you crazy? I shouldn't wonder if I was, Jeremiah said calmly, but I'm going, Sam, nevertheless. Don't look at me like that. I'll tell you about that popcorn. It wasn't just the bag of popcorn, t'was something more. T'was a note, Sam, a note that went with it, writ to me thirty years ago. From his breast pocket he carefully drew a rumpled piece of paper, which he regarded mournfully, while Sam watched him in amazement. Then he held it out to Sam with a trembling hand. I guess I may as well let you read it, since it was thirty years ago, he said. You'll find the writing pretty much faded he added, drawing the back of his hand across his eyes. Sam took the letter and, searching in his pocket, succeeded in securing a pair of spectacles, which he slowly adjusted, and then fixed his most profound attention upon the scrap of paper. I don't mind your reading it out, now you're at it, Jeremiah timidly suggested, and with a good deal of difficulty his friend deciphered the following. Dearest Jeremiah, Knowing your liking for popcorn, I put this note at the bottom of the bag, feeling sure that you'll not be long in reaching it, so you cannot be very far on your journey before you know what I said last night was all a mistake. I didn't suppose you really meant it when you said you were going away. If I had, I should have begged you not to go, for you must know that I do care for you, dear Jeremiah, more than for all the world besides. I know that you will forgive me and come back sometime, and when you do, you will find me waiting, as ever, and forever yours, Amanda Welby. Sam took off his spectacles and looked at Jeremiah. Well, that's very pretty, but what's a note writ thirty years ago to do with your going off? It seems to me you're mighty stupid, said Jeremiah fretfully. Can't you understand? I never got it in all these long, long years and he sat down and buried his head in his hands. Well, I declare, murmured Sam. Jeremiah paced up and down the room with his hands in his pockets. Amanda Welby was the finest girl in all the county, he went on excitedly. All the boys were after her, to take her to the fair or to the circus or to see her home from meeting. But somehow she always seemed to rather take a particular shine to me until I came to feel about sure that Amanda thought a good sight of my keeping company with her. In fact, she'd as much as told me so once or twice. All at once I had a chance to go west and make my fortune, as they all said, and I thought I'd go for a while, as there wasn't much of an opening in Greenboro. When I came to spring it upon Amanda, I thought she didn't care, for she kind of laughed and asked me, 
why I suppose she'd care so much about my going east or west. I might have known she didn't mean it, after the kindness she'd showed me along of Mother's funeral, but I was angry and went home and packed up my things that night. In the morning, just as I was starting out, I saw her little cousin running over with a bundle in his hand. Cousin Amanda said to be sure to give you this, he called out. I snatched it from him and untied the string and looked inside. It was popcorn. Amanda had sent me a bag of popcorn. That was pretty tough. Add an insult to injury, that's what it seemed to me. When I saw him coming over, I rather thought to myself that she'd been a reconsiderin', and when I laid eyes on that popcorn, I tell you I was mad. I grabbed the bag to throw it down in the road right there, but on second thoughts I opened my valise and tucked it in to remind me of the heartlessness and perfidy of women. From that day to this I have never tasted one grain of popcorn, but I kept that bag shut up in a box where it was a warning against the whole lot. If I ever saw a face that I liked the looks of, I'd just go home and take off the cover of that box, though twarn't very often that I did it, for I never saw anyone attracted me as Amanda did. Well, I'd kind of begun to think I'd stay here always, and I hadn't so much as seen that old white box for years, when I came across it a few days ago. I was sorting out some old things, and the box fell out, and when I opened it, the bag was broken open, and the note was sticking out of it like the finger of fate. Oh, Sam, to think of my waiting thirty years to read it. Sam rose and laid his hand on his friend's shoulder. Don't excite yourself so, Jeremiah, he said, but think it over calmly, and I reckon you'll decide to stay here with your friends. Don't go back east just for sorrow and disappointment. You can't calculate that any woman's been waiting around thirty years for you. Most likely she took up with the next one that come along. I don't know as I'd blame her if she did, protested Jeremiah. And she may be dead and gone long afore this, Sam concluded solemnly. Jeremiah bowed his head submissively. His friend was silent for a few moments and then ventured, don't you think you'd better make up your mind to stay with us? Jeremiah rose majestically. Stay with you? he exclaimed, almost scornfully. Then, noting his friend's grieved expression, he continued more gently. I'm sorry to leave all of you folks here, but I wouldn't stay longer and it takes to get my things off if he gave me every gold mine in this state and the rest of the country thrown in. Those inhabitants of Greenboro, who had lived there for the past thirty years, and had witnessed the gradual changes going on around them during that time, could not easily have understood the emotions which struggled in the breast of Jeremiah Tufts as he slowly wended his way up the main street of the village and looked about him. The picture of the place as he left it had always remained clearly imprinted on his mind, and although in coming back he had prepared himself for a goodly number of improvements and changes, he had expected nothing like the transformation which greeted his eyes. He turned his steps toward the old tavern, but on reaching the spot he was confronted by a large modern hotel which was pervaded by an air of bustle and activity, and presented itself in all the doubtful glory of electric bells and bellboys with brass buttons. The quiet composure of the old tavern, with its portly proprietor smoking his long pipe with his feet upon the piazza rail, was a thing of the past. 
jeremiah surrendered his valise to a porter and wrote his name submissively in an imposing register which one of the brisk clerks pushed towards him after a late dinner served in a countless number of little dishes he started out to make the acquaintance of this new greenborough the boyish enthusiasm which he had felt as he stepped lightly off the train was rapidly leaving him and he walked slowly down the street feeling that he was like the greenborough of thirty years ago a thing of the past he saw a postman with a shiny bag going about distributing letters and watched the bright electric cars which ran to the next town rushing by him until he began to question whether this was really greenborough after all everywhere the old stores had disappeared and large blocks had arisen in their stead he caught a glimpse of the old bearing ground on the hill however which reassured him and he turned his steps towards it on the way he passed a new and thriving grocery store which bore on its sign a familiar name he went in and asked if he could see deacon holden the deacon had always been a good-natured man in whom jeremiah had found a firm friend on many occasions when he and the other village youths had indulged in juvenile pranks the clerk looked at him in astonishment and remarked coldly that the old deacon had been dead these fifteen years jeremiah quite resented his calling the deacon old for he thought of him as he had seen him last in the prime of life with his genial smile measuring out sugar for his customers and putting in a little extra after the scales tipped instead of scooping some out as the clerk before him was doing jeremiah walked sadly over to a counter where he saw a pile of popcorn in bags and obeying the dictates of a contrite spirit he bought a bag and strolled down the street eating some as he went the flavor of it seemed to bring back as if it were only yesterday a night when he drove amanda home from the county fair by moonlight he remembered what an ideal flavor the popcorn had that he ate during that drive this did not taste at all like it and he thrust the bag into his pocket and strode towards the cemetery he could not make up his mind to turn his steps towards the little white cottage which used to stand half a mile beyond in the crossroad. he felt sure that he would find it gone or deserted and learn that its former occupants were dead or scattered he entered the old burying ground appalled at the number of white marble slabs which had arisen to testify to the changes that thirty years had wrought in greenborough he walked to the upper end of the ground where under an old elm he found one familiar spot here two simple slate tablets marked the resting-place of his mother and father the lichens which covered the stones wholly obscured the lettering but to jeremiah all the letters presented themselves as clearly as when he first watched them cut upon the stones he sat down on a little iron stool that he had placed there almost thirty-five years before and looked affectionately at the old stones here at all events he felt at home someone had kept the lot in perfect order it was not overgrown with weeds like many others up in that old corner where the white marble was almost an unknown quantity and jeremiah wondered who could have planted myrtle on the two graves were there then some old friends who still felt an interest in his mother and father he walked a short distance to the welby lot and then paused in fear not daring to read the names on the additional stones there but at last he nerved himself and stepped near enough to read the inscriptions he read the names of amanda's father and mother on two rather pretentious tablets and then turned tremblingly towards a third and smaller stone it bore the name of jerusha she was amanda's younger sister 
A wave of thankfulness swept over him, but it was only a momentary relief, for, as he threaded his way along an adjoining path, his eye fell upon another stone. He stopped and stood fixedly confronting it, while a cold chill crept over him as he read again and again the words, Amanda, beloved wife of Ezra Parks, in the twenty-seventh year of her age. Jeremiah dropped on his knees by the stone and buried his head in his hands. So she had married Ezra Parks, great, awkward Ezra Parks. Surely she never could have cared for him, for time and time again Jeremiah had heard her say she couldn't bear the sight of him. What would he not give to know whether those few short years had been happy ones? He who had been her husband could never tell him. For a few feet distant, another stone marked the spot where Ezra himself had been laid nineteen years later. Jeremiah pressed his lips against Amanda's name, cut in the cold slate. After thirty years I have come back, dear, he murmured. Oh, if I had only known it sooner. It was cruel, too cruel. Yes, I forgive you for marrying him. I know you waited, waited for one word from me which never came. He turned away, bitterly, murmuring, I will go back to the West. Sam was right. There's only sorrow and disappointment here. He returned to his little iron seat and sat there watching the sun go down. The glory of the sunset seemed to mock his loneliness, but the two mounds of myrtle brought him a sort of consolation, such as the actual presence of his mother and father might have brought him. At last he rose and started down the hill. As he passed Amanda's grave, he thought how bare and deserted it looked, and he determined to bring some flowers to leave there before he went away. He mechanically turned his steps toward the little white cottage. Perhaps it might be still standing after all, and he might get some flowers from the well-remembered garden to put on Amanda's grave. She used to be so fond of the flowers in that garden. He turned a bend in the road and suddenly came in sight of the small, white cottage. It looked the same in every particular. Here, alone, nothing had changed, save the trees, which had grown so much taller and denser. Neat and trim seemed everything, with the same clusters of roses shading the porch. And as he neared the spot he could see that smoke curled up from the wide brick chimney, but no sound could be heard about the house except the chirp of the crickets. He remembered how, in the old times, of a summer evening, Mrs. Welby's pleasant face could always be seen on the little porch as she sat with her knitting, while the three girls sat on the steps and chatted and laughed with the friends who dropped in. The flowers were much as of old in the garden. As Jeremiah approached the fence and looked over, a delicate odor of mignonette was wafted towards him, which seemed to efface those thirty years and make him a boy again. A slender figure was moving gently about with a watering pot at the end of the garden, and he stood and watched her until his eyes grew misty, for something in the way she moved reminded him of Amanda. He would at least go in and ask her if he might have some flowers. He opened the gate and walked up the path in the dusk, so quietly that she did not hear him until he stood almost beside her. Then, as she suddenly turned to fill the watering pot from a pail nearby, she saw him standing there, and in her astonishment she dropped the watering pot. Jeremiah gallantly stooped and restored it to her, while something, he knew not what, brought his heart up into his mouth. 
"'I ask your pardon for coming upon you so unexpected,' he began, hat in hand, and he paused. "'It was a bit sudden,' she said, a little nervously, and beginning to tremble, she could not tell why. "'Surely,' he thought, "'her voice is very like Amanda's. "'I wanted to get a few flowers to put on a grave in the burying ground,' he went on, "'and I thought if you did not consider it too great a liberty, "'I'd ask you to give me just a—' "'He stopped and gasped. "'For heaven's sake, be you Amanda?' "'Some familiar tone in his voice made her start, "'and she came a step nearer. "'Yes, I am,' she replied hesitatingly though there's a few to call me amanda now and you she questioned doubtfully jeremiah seized both her hands amanda he cried look at me hard don't you know me ain't there a speck of the old look left he held her hands with a grip like iron while she trembled from head to foot at last her lips moved and she murmured it can't be it can't be he's dead long ago jeremiah's dead i'm not dead amanda jeremiah cried throwing his arms about her i've come back to you i'm alive i'm as live as they make em i'm a sight liver than i ever was before and i love you better than ever amanda and that's why i've come back amanda's fixed and stony gaze had changed as he spoke to ecstasy and tears and she dropped her head on his shoulder, sobbing. The Lord forgive my unbelief, Jeremiah. I had given ye up. They sat down on the same old steps where they used to sit thirty years before, and he told her all about it, how all those years he never had read the note. Amanda, he sighed at last, when life is so short I can't understand why such things are allowed to happen. She wiped her eyes, which seemed brighter than ever, though her locks were streaked with silver. Jeremiah, she said, "'twas the will of the Lord. Let us only remember his mercy which brought us together. Then he told her how he had suffered up in the old burying ground on the hill. I was sure you was dead, he said, for I read Amanda Parks on a stone, and I thought you had married him, and I couldn't much blame you if you had. Jeremiah, she said reproachfully, how could you possibly think such a thing of me? Hadn't I said if you ever came back you would find me waitin'? In all the years that I looked for your comin', I never once thought that of you, but always said, if he doesn't come back, he is dead. And you believed, because his wife's name was Amanda, that I had gone and married that Ezra Parks. Jeremiah bowed his head. Amanda, he said, you must remember I'm only a poor, weak man, and not up to the high ideals of the women. As my old friend Sam Wilkins says, I guess the best we can do is try to resemble em as much as we're able. He drew from his pocket the bag of popcorn which he had bought in the village, and they shared it, half laughing, half weeping, while in the dusk, which hid the silvery threads in the two heads so near each other, no one would have dreamed that thirty long years had elapsed since they ate their last popcorn together. End of section 8